Well, good morning. Happy Thanksgiving. I hope it was a very happy one for all of you. Um, you know, in um, 1993, um, I attended a three-day seminar with Zig Ziglar here in Dallas, Texas, uh, called Born to Win. Um, you know, at the end of the, the seminar, we took pictures with Zig, and, and then uh, he sat down to sign copies of his book. I had uh, my copy of See You at the Top with me. So I brought it up to him, and he signed his name, and he wrote something underneath that, um, to be honest, at the time, I didn't understand what it was. He wrote, Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. I didn't know what it was. I didn't even know to go and look uh, in, in my Bible to see what it meant. Um, but, you know, after working as a pastor for 18 years and studying the Bible for about 21, 22 years in depth, I have come to realize the importance of that passage. See, the whole gospel is contained in that passage. And, and not only an explanation of what the gospel is, but an instruction of how Christians should live their lives in a way that the grace of God can become visible to the world. So I wanted to talk to you about uh, that passage and, and what it really means to all of us. Let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll study that passage. Father, I, I just want to thank you, uh, first of all, for, for our salvation, for, for your sacrifice for our lives. Uh, but today I want to thank you for this uh, incredible opportunity to just share your word with your people, with your family. And I want to ask you, Father, that it, it'll be your Holy Spirit speaking to each one of us. I know these are things that we need to hear, but sometimes we don't like to hear. So just, uh, you know, uh, soften our hearts, Father. Uh, I ask this in, in, in the beautiful name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so the passage, Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 10, which I expect you all know, this passage. Um, it says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, it doesn't seem like it at first, but this passage is so profound that we need to break it down and study it little by little. The first part says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. So according to the Bible, see, all of us were born separated from God. We inherited what the Bible calls a sinful nature. You know, Psalm 51 says, I was born a sinner from the moment my mother conceived me. And this is something that we need to understand in order to understand the rest of the passage. See, sin is not something that we do. It's something that we are. We were born sinners, okay? There's people that would like to tell you that people are born good into a bad world that then turns them into bad people. But that is not the truth. It's, it's a lie. People are born bad. And if you don't believe me, work with kids for two weeks, okay? Go, go with the preschoolers. You're going to see violence. You know, you're going to see, you know, shoving and biting and things that they did not learn from their parents. You know, they, 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 are, they just lie, you know? Like, um, I, I have this memory in my head of um, our son, Alex, when he was very little. Uh, my wife baked a cake for a ladies' event, and a chocolate cake. And all of a sudden, she comes, opens the refrigerator, and the cake has this bite. You know, somebody, ah, didn't to the cake. 
You know, and she looks at her uh, three children then. Kat had not been born. And Alex has chocolate all over his mouth. He's like, did you buy that cake? No. Are you sure? Yes. So she picks him in front of the mirror. It's like, smacks him. He runs away, fixes the cake, you know, with a pinguino cake and stuff. And like 15 minutes later, we come in another bite. He's like, Alex, did you buy the cake? He's like, no, look. Yeah, he learned very fast. <laughs> yeah. oh, that's how we were born. We were born uh, sinners, you know, from the beginning, we were, we were bad. But this means, see, that uh, we were separate from God. And, and, and we know the Bible. We know that then God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever put his faith in him should, you know, not perish, but have eternal life. Okay? That's exactly what Ephesians 2.8 is talking about. By the grace of God, you and I were saved from, listen to this, from a life without him. Do you understand what that means? See, the Bible teaches us that we were created to have a beautiful relationship with God. And everything uh, like happiness, peace, calm in your life flows out of that relationship. You know, so when you don't have that relationship, there is an emptiness in your heart. You know, there is this sense that something is missing in your life. And, and our problem is when we have that gap inside our heart, this pushes us to try to fill that emptiness. And our problem is that we try to fill it with temporary things. So they only work temporarily. You know, you, you, you're always thinking, you know, if, if I could only have this car or, or this job or this house, or if I could go on vacations to this place, or on a sadder note, if I could only have a, a different mate, or if I could only have a mate, or if I could have children. And you start thinking that because you get these things, you're going to be happy. But as we all know, it only works for some time. You know, I don't even have to explain that concept to you because we have all experienced it. You remember from the time that you were a kid and you were seen, you know, in, in, in Mexico when I was a kid, they would start the commercials of Christmas like in December. Now they start like in September for some strange reason. But you start seeing all the toys and stuff and you're dreaming that if you get the toy, you're going to be happy and you're going to be fulfilled. How long did that last? Two weeks? How many of you are going to be frustrated by like mid-January when your kid says, I'm bored? And you just got him what he wanted. You know, so... This only lasts for so long. And the problem is, since it doesn't last, then we need more and more and more and more. And it eventually gets you into a mess. It ruins your life. So God, by grace, by love, saved us from that type of life here, that eternal pursuit of things here, and purchased eternal life for us there when we get there. But look at how it continues. It says... And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. You know, it makes it a point for you to understand that this is not because of something that you did. It says, not a result of work so that no one may boast. See, you have to remember that this was a gift from God, not for something that you did. See, this means no one is going to be able to arrive to heaven and demand to be let in based on how good we were here. For whatever you did here. See, I, I worked for a while in, um, before I became a consultant many years ago, I worked for a software company called Lodge in Touch International. It was a, you know, we sold software for, to hotels. The, the, the 
president of the company, the owner, was a very young guy. He was like 32 years old. I was like 36. The guy was brilliant. He had written the software. The company was only like 14 people. They were all young, very smart, very sharp people. And I understood every single one of them except for one guy. There was a guy in his 50s that didn't understand computers at all, didn't understand software, didn't have a specific position. He was always wandering around. Very nice guy. His name was Willie. And one day I sat down with Chris, the, the owner of the company, and I asked him, I said, can you explain to me Willie? You know, what's up with Willie? And he said, when I get to heaven, God's going to ask, why should I let you in? And I said, Willie. I carried with Willie all my life. See, that's a ridiculous story, but you realize how everyone has a version of Willie? That you think that because certain things that you do, you're going to be able to enter into heaven. But the Bible says very clearly, this is not your doing. Even the faith that you put in Christ was given to you by God. You didn't master faith. He gave it to you. And then when he called on you and you put it in Christ, then you are saved through grace. Okay, so we are saved by grace. And up until this moment, you're thinking these are not breaking news, right? I have heard this before. You know what the problem with a large number of Christians is? They stop reading right there. That's it. Through grace I was saved, thank God. He saved me and all he did was for me to now enjoy this safe life that he purchased for me. Surely he'll provide a very nice life for me because I put my faith in him. So all I have to do is enjoy comfortably this beautiful life that I surely will have. And this is why it's important that we keep reading because the next passage, verse 10, is usually read separately from the first two. And they need to be together. So look what verse 10 says. It starts by saying, for we are his workmanship. That's an interesting word. See, in Greek, that's the word poema, which is where you get your word poem, poetry. So it says that we were made by hand, okay, by God. You know, he, he made us like, a, it's, it's like a piece of art that he made, and we're unique and perfect. But then he says this, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, uh, when he says we were created for good works, he's trying to help us understand better the word workmanship. See, because uh, if he says, okay, you're a piece of art, you can think, okay, this is a piece of art. You can just hang it on the wall and we can all watch it and observe it and admire it and glorify God because of how beautiful this art is. But when he says you were created for good works, it means he created you and me with a practical use in mind. You're not just a piece of art. You are a tool. You're an instrument. That it, when you allow God to use that instrument, he follows and finishes, accomplishes his plans, his purposes. So he didn't save us just so that we can live a comfortable and relaxed life. He, he saved us to accomplish his works. And when we do that, when do these good works that he planned ahead of time, his grace is made visible. The world can see this grace, and this is how the grace of God is made visible. And as it reaches more and more people, look at what the apostle says, Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4.15 says, all of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving, and God will receive more and more glory. So as, as you and I extend God's grace, there will be more and more thanksgiving, and, and, and the glory of God will be displayed. 
See, that is the full gospel. You were saved from something, by someone, for something. You were saved from sin, by Christ, for good works that display his grace. Now, I want you to be aware of something that is very important. See, it is as big a mistake to stop at verse 9, you know, thinking that everything was just done for you, as it is to concentrate only on verse 10 thinking that this is all about works, because then you will spend your life doing works, thinking that you need to please God through these works. So th this is what I learned uh, through the years. It is only the people that truly understand verses 8 and 9, you know, that is to say, uh, people who understand that they were saved from this life of eternal pursuit and the mess in their lives by no effort of their own, by the, by the gift, the grace of God, only people that understand that can extend the grace of God to other people. If you don't understand the first two verses, one of two things will happen. It will, you, know, you will be either reluctant to share your energy, your time, and your money, or you will share it and help other people, but to try to purchase from God something that is already yours. And that is an exhausting life. Try to pay for something that has been already paid. Do you understand that there is absolutely nothing you can do for God? That everything you can offer is already His? Which is, I will give my money and then God will see me in this way. The, the first time that we came to Houston, Kat, our younger daughter, was around 12 years old. She ran into a store in the mall and came out and says, Puppy, uh, that's how she called me. Puppy, can I borrow three dollars? And I was like, "What for? I, I want to buy a magazine." And I said, "When are you going to pay me back? As soon as you give me my allowance." Yeah. So I was going to let her borrow money, that then she was going to pay me with my money, right? That's exactly how we look before God when we think that we're going to do something so that He will be happy with us, and you know, I'll give Him my life. Your life is His. See, these are important truths that I realized it takes a long time to understand. See, when, um, when, when pastors Mark and Laura came for the first time to Cancun in 2001, you know, they, they ordained us to become pastors of, of the future uh, church there. I remember the four of us sitting down in the living room of, of, of Mark and Laura's house and planned the church, talk about plans, and then we went for a couple of months talking to neighbors and friends and everyone about the church to see exactly what we were going to do. And on April 28 of 2002, the church started. To be perfectly honest with you, I was not prepared to be a pastor. I didn't understand these truths that we're talking about in depth. But Mark and Laura did. And then, you know, for, for different reasons, just a few months after, three months after, they had to move back to the, to, to the United States. They decided that they needed to come back to Houston. Mark sat down with me and said, look, I'm going to go and talk to pastors there, and I'm going to try and get some help, and we're going to help you grow, okay? But I need to go and, and, and look for some help. And I didn't know this for many years, but he, he came and, and went around and talked to pastors and, and, and tried to get people to be interested in, in the Spanish-speaking world and Mexico in particular, but no one was interested. So what they did is they started praying, 
And the answer from God was, plant a church. Plant a church that will serve the world. You know, that will back up what, what the dream that I have put in your heart, plant this church. And thank God they obeyed. For you and for me, you know, they obeyed. And in and, and the Easter weekend of 2003, community of faith started. See, the growth that happened in this church just shows us how much God's hand is in the middle of all this and how obedient Mark and Laura have been to the vision that he planted on their hearts. In 2007, Mark called me five years later and said, I can help now. Come on down, you know, move to Houston. And then our church in Cancun became Community of Faith Cancun Campus. And Corinne and I and our kids moved here. And the time that we spent here was a year and a half. Opened my eyes to a lot of things. But most important, to how the grace of God is made visible through the love and generosity of his people. See, during those five years that we were pastoring the church in Cancun, you know, we accomplished a lot of things. But do you know what I rarely talked about? Giving, tithing, you know, offering. In my defense, 90% of our people were new believers. And my fear was they were going to think that all we cared about was money. That, that was all the church was about. See, many of them have never been in a Christian church. Most of them have been in the Catholic church. So I never talked about that. I was afraid. And then I, I came here and I realized, you know, that that is exactly, you know, what the Bible calls us to do. That I was actually, you know, like in a way limiting these people from getting God's blessings through giving. So this is exactly what the Bible tells us, you know. Why were we saved? Listen to Isaiah 58, verses 7 and 9. It says, Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. Did you see the things that he said we should do? Help the poor, clothe the naked, help our brothers and sisters. And what happens when we do that? See, the true blessings of God happen in our lives when we live the way he wants us to live. It says, your light will break forth like the dawn. That's a glimpse of Mark 5.16, is it not? You know, let your light so shine so that others will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's exactly what Isaiah is talking about here. It says, when you do these things as a result of your humble acceptance of what Jesus did for you, people will see the light that belongs to God and glorify Him. And then it says, and your healing will quickly appear. See, if you, if you listen to the um, prosperity gospel prophets, they read verses like this and they say, see, if you do these things, then God will heal you. But we all know by experience and by reading the Bible that that's not what he means. He wants to heal your real wounds. See, I remember um, many years ago, uh, 
a man of our church was dying. He was an old man. He had been a very cold-hearted person, treated his family in a very bad way. And his daughter invited me to, to pray for him at the hospital. And she said, can you please pray for a miracle? Those are the scariest prayers. When you know a man is about to die and their kids ask you, can you pray for a miracle of healing? So I went, I talked to him, you know, I, I, I told him, he was like, what do you have to say about all this? And I said, all I have to tell you is the unconditional love of God who gave his life on the cross for you so that you after this will have eternal life. So soften your heart to him and let him do his work in you. And after that, um, I prayed over him and I earnestly asked God to heal him, to do a miracle and heal him. But less than a week after uh, he passed away, and I called his daughter, and I said, I am, I'm so sorry. And she said, don't be. God answered your prayer. He was healed. And I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, after you left, he finally said that he was accepting Jesus at his word. He asked us all for forgiveness, and we spent the last days crying and hugging, lamenting the wasted time, but his heart was healed. He died in peace. And that's what this passage means. See, what God wants to do is to heal your deep wounds, the ones in your heart. So we, we always want to think that this is all about physical stuff. That if he's going to bless me, he's going to give me a lot of money. You know, a lot of comfort. If he's going to heal me, he's going to heal me of my sicknesses. But, but God wants to heal you from the real wounds. The ones that stop you from having real relationships with other people and with him and even with yourself. And this is what Isaiah is saying. Your healing then will quickly appear. And then it says, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. See, this is when we truly glorify God. People think that when they say we were made to glorify God, we just have to spend the whole day saying glory be to God, glory be to God. But that's not what he's saying here. Like when these things really happen, that's when like that girl said like, glory be to God who healed my father's heart. God was glorified that day. That's when his grace is made visible. And I love the end of the passage. It says, then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. See, when you understand what he did for us at the cross, and as a response to, to, to that, we extend his love to other people. So those are the moments that when, when, when the night is darker, and you call out to him, and he says, here I am. He makes you feel his presence. He gives you the strength. See, the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not that if you follow him, he will do whatever you ask from him. That wouldn't even be good for you. You know, all the parents that I know that have always given anything they ask to their children, ruin them. You know, they, they grow up without character. That's not the beauty of the gospel. The, the beauty of the gospel is that regardless of the circumstances, he's with you. And he's all you need. And he's very sad, as I have said many times, you know, that oftentimes we don't find out that he's all you need until he's all you have. But he's there with you. So this is how we make his grace visible to the world. 
And that I learned it here. And then we went back to Cancun, and then our church started taking after the heart of our pastors and the vision that had been planted, you know, in, in their hearts. One of the things that Corinne and I love very much about our church in Cancun, every time we get visitors from Houston, you know, they come visit the church, hang out with the people, and the common phrase that they always say is, this is like home in Houston. I feel like a community of faith in Houston. See, the church now takes after the heart of the pastors. So when the, when the pandemic hit, if, if you uh, read the, the, the best gift pamphlet that uh, Laura talked about, you know, uh, Mexico doesn't have food banks. There was absolutely no relief from the government to anyone, not to people, not to businesses. You know, Cancun is a tourism town. So when, when, when the pandemic hit hard and they, by law, closed all the hotels, you know, we had people that truly, they didn't have any way to get food or job or money or anything. And, and that's when the grace of God became visible through the generosity of, of his people. Now, I want you to hear the testimony of, of one of our volunteers and members of the church there. Listen to this. Mm. So that, yeah. See, that is the impact of, of God's love extended by his people. Um, this uh, season that you're going through, best gift, you know, uh, you need to know it is through the generosity of this family here in Houston that many of the things that we can do in Cancun are possible. And I know that right now you're going through, we are going through, this is a worldwide situation, uh, very unusual times, uh, very tough circumstances for some people like Cynthia and family, very, very hard times. And, and in a way, you know, uh, when I bring this word from here to, to Cancun, I, I feel like Titus, you know, uh, when, when Paul gave him this task, let me read you uh, this, this last passage, because it, it, it is so relevant to what we're facing. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 to 7 says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means for their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Did you read that part correctly? begging to be allowed to be part of this effort. It says, and this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. See, there it is again. This is how we display the grace of God to the world. It says, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So it is when we do these things that the world can see the grace of God. See, this was um, Thanksgiving week. And let me tell you, we are thankful. We are thankful above all for our salvation, for what Jesus did for us. Karina and I are very thankful for the path that he chose for us. And we're definitely very thankful for placing Mark and Laura in our way.
But we are very thankful to him for the generous heart that he gave all of you in this family that taught us what, you know, displaying the grace of God meant. And thanks to these efforts, I want to show you this last video of what we were able to accomplish last year. The video for this year will be produced by the end of the year. Just watch what happened in Cancun during 2019. That's the grace of God displayed. And I just want to tell you that um, on behalf of every member, every volunteer, everyone in our staff in Cancun, we want to say thank you. We love you. Let me pray for us. Father, um, we are so thankful to you that you have allowed us to be part of this amazing thing that you call church, that you have showed us the light, that you have showed us how much joy we truly receive when we just open our heart to you and you allow us to be generous and share whatever resources that we have. I ask you, Father, that you destroy the walls that we build in our own hearts that don't allow us to see you for who you are and just follow you and allow you to work in our hearts. Let us be your children. Let us be your hands. Let us be your eyes, your love. Let us extend your grace and make it visible to the world. This in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Love you guys very much.